commandment is when God is restricting you to an order. So love is an order. He says, this is what I want you to do. What he's telling you is that your wife will be somehow annoying sometimes, but I give you a commandment to love her. If I love dancing and I cannot dance, what I have to do is that it's either I admit myself for who I have become or work towards being a dancer so I can love myself. But I don't divorce myself because I'm not dancing. They have very many divorced marriages that are still living together. Sometimes the wife is just living because of the children. I don't want my children to suffer. I don't want another woman to come in and maltreat my children. But the marriage is long divorced. So one of the things that God desires for us is that he wants the two in marriage to become one so that they can teach us how the two, that is God and us, can become one. So what you see in a marriage is always a symbol of exactly how God wants the relationship he wants to have with us to be. So God is expecting you to be so much submissive to him until nothing else matters. Nothing else is important. for you. I wish as you dance and come to church, I wish as you people look alike and come together today as we all gather together like this to look at two of you, my greatest wish, this is what God is saying is that two of you mesh together and become one and so that whatever thing is a problem of the husband, you just take it as your problem too and see how to fix it and not see how to beat the person or slap the person because the two has become one So you now see that the negligence of the two becoming one is actually the problem of the marriages that we have. I do some crazy marriage counseling, like a husband is so bold enough to tell me, tell my wife not to open my phone again if this marriage has to work. If this marriage has to work, he shouldn't touch my phone again. Some crazy counseling like that. And I asked him, do you touch your phone? He said, yes, I can touch my phone, but I don't want her to touch my phone. I said, the two has just become one. No password. (laughs) So you see the problem. Oh my God. The problem is just that when two fail to become one, then they start seeing disparity in them. They start seeing differences in two of them. So they keep talking about the differences. You are not like this. You are not like this. You are not like the other woman. You are not like the other one. Because the two are not the same. I know very many things that I wish I should be able to do. And I cannot do it. And if I cannot do it, it's either I accept myself for what I cannot do or I work towards being able to do it. The same thing is what God is expecting from marriage that if you have very many things that you should do and you can't do it up till today, up till today I can't dance. I don't know how to dance. My church is a dancing church. I've tried all my best. I fasted about it. It's not working. I've done everything. (laughs) So if I love dancing, I want you to listen to me. If I love dancing and I cannot dance and I don't know how to dance, what I have to do is that it's either I admit myself for who I have become or work towards being a dancer so I can love myself. But I don't divorce myself because I'm not dancing. 
So you now see that the problem of divorce, we shouldn't have even been talking about divorce in the first place. We are talking about divorce as a problem because there's a deficiency. And the deficiency is that the two has failed to become one. They failed to become one. So since they cannot become one for a long time, they feel that they are good apart than being together. And uh, you are screaming because I'm talking about divorce. They have very many divorce marriages that are still living together. Sometimes the wife is just living because of the children. I don't want my children to suffer. I don't want another woman to come in and maltreat my children. But the marriage is long divorce. And the reason is because the two has not. I'm giving you our prayer points. Your prayer point is, Lord, I want you to mix us up together until the two becomes one. Let me give you more of the advantages of two becoming one. Do you know if two becomes one, if something should happen to your husband, you will feel it and you will know it? Sometimes a husband is kidnapped for three good days. The wife doesn't know. The wife does not know that the husband has been kidnapped by another woman into another room. And, and the reason is because the two are not yet one. Oh, I feel like talking to somebody here. There is something called the sense of irritability. It's in integrated science. A sense of irritability. The irritability is that I can be facing this way and something climbs my leg. And I will know that something has climbed my leg. Because I am a part of my body. I have the leg. The leg is a part of me. It doesn't matter where I look at. So God wants to put two people that get married together and mix them up together until what your wife feels, you feel it too. When you find people who want to divorce the wife because the wife does not have a male child or a female child or doesn't have a child together, it is that the two has not yet become one. So they make it feel like it's a woman's problem. But when the two becomes one, if my wife doesn't bear a child, I will know that we are together in the problem. It's two people's problem. Don't make it look like it's only a woman's problem. And judges make it so obvious. They will do prayers for barren women and unfruitful women, but they never do a program for impotent men. So, so, our greatest desire, our greatest desire should be that our mothers should be close to our father. And not just that they should be closed, but God should mix them so much up. Mix them up. I want you to pray for your parents here. As I'm preaching, I want you to pray for your parents. Pray for any broken marriage around you. Say, God, mix them up until they are together. Mix them up. Sometimes you see husbands who complain too much. You are complaining because you can see it. Why are you not complaining about your bad behaviors? Why are you always complaining about somebody else, the wife's bad behavior? It's because the two has not yet become one. When two becomes one, very many things that are problems in marriages get solved. You've been asking yourself, how come our grandparents who knew no school, who had no education, grandparents who knew nothing called love, who just saw somebody on the streets and told the person, I want a wife, and the person said, there's a girl I know. And they just carry the person and go there and they marry and they come back. How come they live more happily than you that profess so much love from Facebook to Twitter, from Twitter to WhatsApp? How come they have understood the first promise of marriage? The two shall become one. And people keep saying, marry who you love. It wasn't supposed to be marry who you love. 
You are supposed to be love who you marry. So now you see the problem people have is that because love will always fade away. Love will always fade. I don't know what you call love, but it ends few days after wedding. And the person that you're married to becomes like your sister. And the same annoying how your sisters could be annoying at home. You start finding the person also so annoying too. Have you noticed that love is a commandment? Do you know why it's a commandment? Commandment is that it is something that is going to be beyond your power. So I command you to do it. Have you seen in the whole Bible where God commands us to eat? <laughs> There's no, because he knows you will eat. It's something you love. Your body loves it. <laughs> you will eat. Even if he commands you or not, you will eat. But have you seen where God commands you not to commit adultery? It's because he knows that your body is dragging towards that direction. So he commands you. Commandment is when God is restraining you to an order. So love is an order. It's giving you an order. It says, this is what I want you to do. Pastor Inem said, love your wife. What he's telling you is that your wife will be somehow annoying sometimes. But I give you a commandment to love her. So that's it. It wasn't this infatuation. It wasn't this, uh, I can't sleep without you. I can't wake up without you. Dream and, uh, honey, why didn't I see you in the dream tonight? No, no, no. no. It, wasn't, it wasn't all those Facebook stories. It was not. It was a commandment that despite of, oh God, Jesus, for him to be able to teach a perfect scenario on love, what he needed to do was that he had to make himself love. And love, the imperfect us. So I'm telling you that when you are getting married, you will see imperfection in the person that you're getting married to. And there is a need for that imperfection. God knew that the lady needed to work on that thing before she comes in. But refuse her to work on it before she comes in. Because the woman will not, or the man too, will not honor you so much. If she came into your life, there's nothing you have worked on the person's life. He will love you more when he knows my husband was the one who taught me how to do this. My husband was the one who taught me how to do this. My wife was the one who taught me how to save money. My husband was the one who teach me how to do this. So God most times deliberately keeps some loopholes in somebody's life so that you feel it because your value is in filling the loopholes. And if you fail to fill the loopholes, then you don't have anything. That's why sometimes people come into people's life as wives and they become zombies in the person's life. Because you came in when I had money. You came in when I had anointing. You came in when I had everything. You have not contributed to who I am. So you are just like a furniture. You can as well live. But when God created a loophole in somebody's life that upon how he can be able to preach like me, I can't cook. And God gives me a woman who will love me for not being able to cook. And then God is making me to have value for her because of the loophole he had created in me. So when you find loophole, oh God, in somebody that God is taking you to, you have to pray for the anointing because you were called a helper. You were not called the banker of the person. You were called a helper. Don't only go to take care of the money. Take care of how you can help the person to realize his destiny because all the loopholes that the person has, God knew about it before he brought you there. Alright, so the most interesting thing here is a promise because God is already aware that if, if two doesn't become one, then there's going to be a whole lot of problem. Then you're going to beat up your wife. Then you're going to slap the girl if she says something wrong. Then you're going to return her when she does something wrong. Oh God, there was this crazy woman I met some time ago. The husband was so mad and said, you are leaving my house today. And the wife told the husband too, you are leaving our house today too. The husband threw out the property of them. The wife also was throwing out the property of the husband. 
<laughs> and he said, this house, we built it together. We live it together. If we are living here, we are living. You go back to your father's house. I'm going back to my father's house. We are locking this house together. When I met you, you were nobody. It was two of us. Hey. Glory. Wow. Is it amazing? Is it powerful? Receive the juice of togetherness. In the name of Jesus. Now let me get to the B part of the message. Now the elements that God gave for two to become one. Because God was wishing and said you shall. Shall is not really like you must be together. That two must become one. He was saying shall. So probably you may not. But I desire that you should. So the elements that God gave. There are very many elements that God gave for two to become one. But the principal elements, apart from God himself, which is the element that puts the two people together, apart from the elements of God by himself, the next element also that God provided so that the two will become one. I believe we are in adult church now because I'm about to preach something powerful. Now, the elements that God gave for two to become one was what you call love making. It was love making that God uses to bind the two together. Oh, God. In the Bible, you see, the Bible doesn't look what you call lovemaking. It's not for cruising. It's not a fun. In the Bible, if you check 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 14 to 16, just speed it down, you'll read it when you get back home. What God was giving as an element to bind two people together. Last week, I joined somebody, a Kwaibom guy, who's getting married to uh, an Igbo girl in my church. We do that often. So, you see, this person is from a different tribe and have a different understanding. They have a different way of doing things. They have a different way of cooking periwinkle soup and have a different way of cooking a goosey soup. And God is bringing two of them to come together. So, how are they going to be together? One of the the greatest thing that God does is that God becomes number one, the mixer of the two, because he created them differently. He created them by himself. And the second thing was what is called love making. So when a husband and wife meet together, what is happening according to this Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 to 16, is that four things happen. Number one, the Bible calls it fellowship. Oh, God, he doesn't even call it like uh, you call it. He doesn't call it sex. No, 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 no. It's not that God did not know that the name is sex, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than sex. It's bigger than fun. And God is saying that it is fellowship. That's why the Bible says, uh, do not be unequally yoked with unbeliever. What he's saying is that I don't want you to go outside the matrimony. Don't go outside your marriage to do anything because what you are doing with somebody there is a fellowship. I feel like preaching. And fellowship is when human beings come together and invite divinity to come in and seal them up together. That's what fellowship is. So God is saying, what you are doing with your husband is a fellowship. That is what will bind two of you together. It calls it fellowship. It calls it communion. It calls it concord. It calls it an agreement. It says that this is what happens. The two will become one. And it starts talking about of what fellowship does unbelievers have with 
non-unbelievers, which is saying that for you to be able to be one with this person, I want you to understand that this is a fellowship. This is a fellowship. You are fellowshipping with this person. And when you fellowship with this person, you become one with this person. The more you fellowship with this person, you become one with this person. But this is where the problem comes. Since the devil knows that that is the strength of every marriage, the devil makes men to start lusting after many people outside. When a man starts lusting after a woman outside and having concubines outside, what happens is that when he gets into fellowship with another person outside, he becomes one with the prostitute outside, comes to another girl and sleep with another girl, becomes one with another prostitute outside, goes to another person, sleep with a person. If he has 15 people he sleeps with, he's one with 15 people. And that is why the marriage that is supposed to be sweet is not sweet. Because the one person that was supposed to be one with this person has divided himself into very many people. And now that becomes the problem that affects the home. That becomes what destroys the home. Because the fellowship was not supposed to be with everybody. The fellowship was supposed to be with a person that you have decided to marry. That was supposed to. In fact, the word marry has nothing to do with wedding. The word marry is mixing something together. That's what the word marry means. It's mixing something together. So people spoil. Oh my God, I feel like preaching. People spoil the dignity of marriage. That's why the Bible talks about a bed undefiled and marriage is honorable. A bed undefiled. What he's talking about is that you see what will build this marriage? Send out every other woman that you love so much very far away and make this one the only one that you will ever desire. If you want your wife to look so fair, make her up on on a fake or whatever and make her fair before you all the time desire her all the time and make sure you get together with her because that will be what will create the boldness and uh, when you hear people talking about third party in marriage it's not really about the one who advises you when you have a problem it's the one who comes in to become one with two of you <laughs> and how the third party comes in to become one with two of you is when somebody in the party has gone to have an extra marital affair with somebody it breaks the marriage. That's why God said, I hope the two shall become one. Because in being one, there is a condition that binds two people together. There's a condition. It's a spiritual condition. God calls it fellowship. It calls it communion. And he said the same way we break bodies of Christ and eat it together. And we now become one with Christ. It's the same way the body is broken into each other. And we become one. And God calls it. He said, you see the bed? The marital bed. It should not be defiled. The marital bed, it should forever be like that. The two should become together. And the Bible still said again in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 6, if you go down to verse 7, God talks about it and talks about it. He says, he that is joined to a prostitute, that's the word he uses. Because the word joined is the word we use often in marriages. So he talks about it. He says, he that is joined to a prostitute is one with a prostitute. But he that is joined to the Lord is one with God. So what he's saying is that God doesn't know what you call hookup. God doesn't know what you call, I had sex with somebody. Oh, we did quickie. Oh, we did fun. Oh, we had fornication. God doesn't call it like that. For every time you have extra marital affair with somebody, there's something joining you together with that person. It's just a wedding. A wedding has just happened. You are joined together with somebody. 
you are not intending to spend your entire life together with. And now when you now find the person that you are supposed to spend your entire life with, your battle, the spirit of the person that you are already joined with, is fighting with the spirit of the person that you are about to be joined together. And it brings the trouble. And most times you can find somebody. Have you seen somebody so good and so wonderful? A woman so nice and so wonderful and so good. And everybody should desire to love such a woman. But the husband that is married to doesn't even care about the woman. Why? The reason is because there is something in between that fights and separates them together. And because of that communion, it's called the communion. The Bible says, what communion does light have with darkness? So have you seen how intimate? God looks at some things and takes it so intimate. And we take it so lightly. That's why marriages that we have become so light. And somebody can just walk into the pastor's office and say, Pastor, I'm tired of that marriage. I'm walking out of that marriage. You take it so lightly because you took the instructions of God too lightly too. So the instructions of God that you took so lightly is not abundant enough to bind your marriage up together because you took it too lightly. And so this is one of the things that bind people together. It binds together. And this is not just here, but this is also the same thing that God does. That's why when we come together with God, it calls it fellowship too. So it's just the same way people who said they are making love do. That's the same thing we do when we are fellowshipping with God. When we are talking to God, when we are in the presence of God. As we gather like this, this is a real intercourse between us and God. This is the thing that binds us together with God. It's called fellowship. It's called communion. And God is advising us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that when you get together, I want you to join together. He said, they that are joined to the Lord are one with God. Which means when we fellowship with God, we become the same with God. He mixes us up together. Last week I was talking about getting married to Jesus and what I was saying was that when you get in love with Jesus, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what you have just done is that you have gotten into an engagement with him. And it shouldn't be a partial and a casual relationship. It should be that we get too much together. And we should love each other. And we should start what we call the communion. What you see and what you carry on the communion table. And you eat it up and drink it up. Is a symbol of what should happen to your spiritual life. In how you are connecting to God. So when we take the communion. Like we take every month in our churches. And when we take communion, I love communion so much. When we take communion, what we do is that it should remind us of the bigger communion that we should have with the Holy Spirit. So when you hear God say some words like, uh, without me, you can do nothing. He's trying to remind you of the kind of relationship that you should have with him. That you should be so close to him that nothing is done except you tell your spouse. Nothing is done except you tell Jesus. He said, Jesus, this person wants to marry me. What do you think? This person loves me so much. What do you think? This person is looking for so much of my attention. He's calling too much. What do you think? Because if you take any more step without him, you may leave him behind. And that can scatter the marriage. So one of the things that God desires for us is that he wants the two in marriage to become one so that they can teach us how the two, that is God and us, can become one. So what you see in a marriage is always a symbol of exactly how God wants the relationship he wants to have with us should be. God brings marriage together today, and you find two people who have been together, your father and your mother, who have been together for a long time. And the way they smile, the way they are always happy together, it looks like it's one parent that gave birth to two of them. And God is saying, have you seen? Have you seen how they have been together? Have you seen that after some time, their faces start looking alike? God said, this is the same relationship I wanted with you. I wanted you to be so close to me. I wanted you to so love me that if I want to do something, I will reveal it to you. There's a relationship we have ignored. 
and he's making every other of our relationship to suffer. And the relationship is that we have not been able to be joined to God. Ability to be joined to God, that is to be so close to God. I mean, being so married to God until God decides everything about you is what God has been desiring from all of us. And God says, be so joined to me and see how you will make mistake. Sometimes when I was unmarried, people came to me and very many concerned pastors and great bishops came to me and were advising me, please, see, you have so much anointing. The presence of God is with you. You have so much work in your hand. I want you to be very careful in marriage. And uh, I keep responding one thing. And I said, uh, my issue in choices of wife and who I'm getting married to is beyond me. And uh, it's more in God's hands than my hands. Because if I fail, he fails more than I fail. I, I, <laughs> there are very many things that are at stake and more are his own. Because ever since I got married to him, I have dropped my ambitions. I have dropped my future. I have dropped my prospects. And I have carried for myself all his prospects. So if he allows me to make any mistake, then his prospects are going to scatter because mine already have been scattered when I got married to him. And I told the person, I said, the only way I can make mistake is if I lose this relationship I'm having with him. Because if he's with me always, the Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So if my marriage is going to be glorious, I'm going to be so married to God and let him to continually be in me. Because the more he's in me, the more I can't make mistake, even if I want to. That's how close you are with God. And even if we want to make mistake, you cannot make it. I mean, have you tried to love somebody before and God is the one scattering the love? He doesn't want it to work because he's more involved than you are involved. Somebody shout, yeah! So there's a relationship that God is desiring from all of us. I'm telling all of you listening to me right now. There's a relationship that God is desiring. He brings us to wedding like this every Saturday. Every Saturday like this. God brings us to a wedding like this to desire and to show us. Have you seen how this guy has left everything and he's getting married to this lady? Of all the women he has seen, and I'm sure all the ladies he has seen, uh, being a pastor is not easy. You see more girls than guys. You see, girls like counseling more than guys. I don't know why. Girls have too much problem. And when they come, they say the same problem. They say, is this what you call me to come? and say, yes, yes. What? He say, it's bothering me. It's, bothering, it's not bothering the person. Most times when the girls come and cry at the altar, you think that they are giving their life to Christ. They want to give their life to you. So it's... So it's, it's it's a dangerous thing. I remember when we started the church, there are some times that we have to excommunicate somebody. He called the brother and said, please, we would not want you to continue in our church. We have discovered that you don't want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You want to accept me as your Lord and Savior, and I, I'm, I'm not free. I'm not free to be accepted as Lord and Savior. So, there's a relationship that God desires from us. So, God brings us here to learn from a marriage how somebody can leave every other person and he's cleaving to one person and decide that even if it gets bad, let it be bad together. And when you find that, you can find it with the lines of the scripture where Paul is saying, what shall separate us from the love of God? When he's saying something like that, you understand that this guy is married to God. It's not something that is working with God as a boss. And if you are working with a boss, there are times that you can resign and leave the boss. But when he's saying, what shall separate us from the love of God? And he started mentioning things that have separated people and said, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. What he's saying is that I am so married to God. 
until I don't think there's anything that can be able to separate. So when you are saying, uh, you'll get do us apart and so on, it's not even as greater as what Paul is saying to God because that's the greatest relationship. God is giving you a wife for you to marry and the way the wife is submissive to you, you should be knowing how much you owe God submission because you are doing something that you don't deserve. You did not create this girl. She was brought up by somebody else and brought to you to marry. And if she could submit to you so much like that, then how much more you to the person that created you? So God is bringing you for you to owe. Oh God. He's bringing the lady to be submissive to you so that you know how much you are owing. And the Bible says to whom much is given, much is expected. So God is expecting you to be so much submissive to him until nothing else matters. Nothing else is important. Nothing else matters. When you love somebody and God doesn't love who you love, you have to hate the person he hates and love who he loves because it is his love that matters. And it's not just love, it is submission. That is God. I don't know why you say I shouldn't go there, but I don't want to go because you said I shouldn't go. That's the relationship God wants with all of us. Most of the problem that we have is that we get into churches and get titles in churches. And when we get titles in churches, we forget relationship with Jesus. And so, our titles in churches and the responsibility that we are doing in churches most times comes to take the place of the real relationship we should have with God. I think most times people should go back and return their titles and just have back the relationship with God. I was talking to a pastor. I said, Pastor, what do you do when you have fallen into sin? Pastor, what do you do? Because sometimes there are some places that you get into. There are some positions that you have and it becomes a trap to take you to hell. Because sometimes when somebody is a singer in church, a chorister in church, and sometimes you fall into sin, and uh, they call you up and they said, ah, you remember you are singing in songs today? It's easy to tell somebody, oh, please choose another person. I cannot sing today. He said, what happened? Uh, my relationship is not really too good with God. I, I don't want to sing today. I've messed up. Uh, but uh, how many pastors can be so genuine enough to go back to the people that have hosted them, and the flyers have been out, and the posters are everywhere, and you are preaching. You are taking over Abba. For Christ. You are taking over a we for Christ. And all of a sudden, the devil came so wild and puts you on the ground. How many people can say, please, let the ministration stop first. Let me get back my relationship because this is the only thing that matters. And that's what makes God to call David the friend of mine. He calls him a man after my heart. Because he could look down on the position he has and desire for the presence of God. When he was told, King, you have done something wrong. How did you take the woman and sleep with her? How did you kill the husband? How did you do something so bad like that? And he was crying, rolling on the ground, and said to God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That is what I need. I need ability where I can come to your presence, lift up my hands, and still feel this flow. And not this, everybody coming and say, Kabi is here, Kabi is here. No, 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 no. I want a relationship we used to have. When I was inside the bush and I knew nobody, no connection in that so rock. A relationship I used to have that I would just be playing strings and I would have so much anointing that a lion will come to take my ship and I will step out and, and I will kill the lion without any military training. I killed the lion, bear comes another day. I killed the bear and without any military training at the age of just 17 years. And how come I did that when I had no money and now I'm in the position where money has become an advantage and I mess up that relationship and I try to cover myself up with a title. No. The Bible said he fell on the ground, tore his clothes, put himself on sack clothes and said, woe is me. And was saying to God, restore to me the joy of my salvation until God told him he had forgiven him. 
He had no business with the throne because he knows that there's a difference between the, the anointing and the title. There are two different things. Most times your title deprives you from having fellowship with God. It becomes something that blocks you from having fellowship because something you should boldly go and confess. You cannot go and confess your sin because you're wishing, how will people look at me? I've been a women leader for some time. How will people look at me? How will they see me? If I want to give my life to Christ now and they are preaching, if I leave my hand now to give my life to Christ, how will people see me? My church members are here. People, they are looking up to me. As in, they are looking up to you and you're not looking up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Our spiritual life is draining out because we've lost out of this marriage with God. And so the same way God is talking to the male and the female standing before us today, is the same way God is talking to us today and said, the two, two of us, were to become one. I don't know why you are still different from me, but we were to become one. We were supposed to be together. God was saying that we should become one. As in, oh God, have you noticed the privilege that God gives to men? Of, and they come to the altar, open the Bible. In three minutes, we were done opening the Bible and reading the Bible. And we called it the word of God. What I have been saying for over one hour becomes like the word of God. Have you seen the privilege that God has given to men of God? What he has done is that I give you my words and I use your voice. So I use your mouth and your voice, but I declare to you my words. And so that is what marriage is. We becoming too close to God that he uses our hands to heal the sick. He uses our mouths to preach the gospel. He uses our thoughts. When God said, come, let's reason together. He's not saying, come, let's be on the round table talk. So that when you talk your own, I talk my own. No, no, no. He's saying, come, let me use your brain and think the way you should think. That's what reasoning together means. So marrying to God becomes one of the greatest things that can happen to anybody. That you get into such a relationship with God until you can feel what God feels. You can enjoy what God enjoys until the fellowship of his suffering. Oh my God, do you not understand that one of the blessings that God has decided to bless us with is the fellowship of our suffering. When you read about the early Christians and the early believers, you see that one of the things that gave them joy was their persecution. The way they persecuted them and told them you cannot save God was one of the things that energizes them and gives them joy. And you, when they just threaten you and say, stay back from church, you can't. Because you have lost from the blessing of the fellowship of the suffering. So God said, I want to be so close to you. And I brought you here so that you can see how to choose two persons can ignore every other person. I believe that Pastor Inemesa is not the greatest guy who has given this lady the most beautiful poetic text message before. I believe that there must have been some other person that must have given this lady a more beautiful text message and wonderful text message. Lady, am I saying the truth? There must have been so much that I've given you nice, nice text messages, but you look beyond the text. Into the future of the texter. To choose. To choose who you will spend your life with. When we give our life to Christ, we look beyond everything in the world. And look into the life of he who wrote the text. And see who are we going to spend our eternity with. When I see people join calls because they want to get women. And they want to get money. Or they want to be so influential. Somebody who was an ex-cultist was confessing in our church and he says why he joined cause was that he wanted whenever he enters into a place, everybody would just run away. I say, if everybody run away, who will sell something for you in the shop? So you now see that God wants you to look beyond. I need you to pay attention. Pastor, look at me. I'm talking to you. I came to preach to you. So he said, I came to make you to look beyond things and have a fellowship with who you want to spend your entire life with. So when you get into cultism 
and you are submitting to Odin, a man who has one eye, who died having one eye, who is in hell right now. If you should see Odin to talk to you right now, Odin will tell you to make heaven. Because hell is not even a place that anybody should wish is worst enemy. And you want to spend your entire life with Odin. Because you have chosen cultism. It means you have not decided to be one with God. When Jesus comes and rapture us, what God wants to see in us is that he wants to see Jesus in us. He doesn't want to see you. He wants to see Jesus in you. When he looks at your face, who he should see is the person you are married to, not you. You are too insignificant. He wants to see Jesus. I came to announce to you today that there is somebody whose relationship is more than every other person's own. It's more superior. I mean, no matter how you want this marriage to last, brother, let me just tell you the truth. The highest marriage that has really lasted so long is a man that is 113 years or something, and they have been married for 80-something years. I don't think any of this has been that long. So the highest this marriage can last is just calculate how many years you want to live. And be very realistic. Don't be too, too bogus about the thing because it may not really happen. Don't say you want to live 1,000 years. If you want to live 1,000 years first, check who in your family has lived 1,000 years first. Well, you may say I'm a pastor. Check among the pastors. Who among the pastors have lived 1,000 years? Don't go on Methuselah. Just check around you. And when you now see that, you now see that if you are living 100 years, you minus 100 years with what you have lived so far, and uh, probably you still have about 70 years to live with the lady. If you have about 70 years to live with the lady, 70 years to live with the lady is still not a marriage enough. It's still not a long time enough to be compared to the marriage we will have with Jesus. That the Bible says we are married with him eternity. And somebody was trying to explain what eternity is. And he said, he was lost of words. And he said, if you want to describe what eternity means, I want you to move to an ocean. Move to a seashore. And uh, on the sand that you see in the seashore, pick one after another till all the sand is done. And for every one sand you pick, use it and equate it with 1,000 years. And pick another one. Equate it to another 1,000 years. Pick another one. If you can be able to pick all the sands in the seashore, then you can be able to measure the height or the length of eternity. Ah, God forbid that I will allow 70 years program to make me to miss an eternity. There are very many people that in order to get married, they have disorganized their marriage with God. They have done something bad. They have brought down their principles. They have done a whole lot of things. They have committed fornication. They have committed immorality. They have done so many things. And they have lost out with the marriage that is supposed to be eternity just because of the reception that they are having here. Reception. There's a relationship thicker than this. Have you asked yourself why there will be no marriage in heaven? Why there will not be any marriage in heaven is because there's going to be a marriage in heaven. The real marriage of God marrying us will be so strong that every other marriage has to merge into that marriage. He's so powerful. God wants you to date him. God wants you to get into courtship with him. And you may feel, oh, did he pay my bride price? Yes, what he did on the cross of Calvary, that was a bride price. And the Bible says, I'm coming back to a church that has no spots or wrinkles. And the moment God picks us up, the first thing he does in the air is that he has a marriage supper with us. All your clothes have been sewn already. Your clothes have been sewn. The Bible says that we will be red with white raments. We will be dressing like Pastor Ruth George. And God will be having a wedding with us. And how great will it be that we are marching in with the Lord and our Savior, whom we have decided not to betray for every other thing. So let me tell you something. I don't know who I'm talking to, but see, let me tell you something. No matter how bad your marriage is here on earth, don't let the one here make you miss the one there. There's a one there that is bigger, sweeter. That
that will make you not even to remember the bad things you went through on earth. The Bible said that when we reach Jesus, he will wipe away tears from our eyes. In fact, I don't know how you have saved God, but every of us, when we reach heaven, we will regret not saving God the way we should have saved God. Because you will know that for everything that you did for God, there was a reward for it. I taught my members, I tell them, you see, for shame that you take for Christ, there's a reward. Shame. Who can pay somebody? If you're working for Indomie company and they disgrace you for working in Indomie, can the company pay you for the shame? They cannot. But you see the shame you take for Jesus. There's a currency to pay you for the shame. There's even heartbreak. Have you seen heartbreak you go through for Christ? There's salary for it. Have you seen the tears that drops from your eye for fooling Jesus? There's reward for it. I mean, the Bible said that God is not unfaithful to reward us of our labor of love. Everything you did for Christ, which you did not do for money, and you did it just because of how much you love God. The Bible said God is not unfaithful. And he's so faithful that he will pay you for everything that you have done for him. And when we arrive in heaven, I feel like closing here. When we arrive in heaven, that's when you understand that, oh, then this was the main thing I would have labored for. Not every other thing I was doing. When you arrive at heaven, you will know how short life was. When you arrive in heaven, you will understand that you could not even live up to a day. A day. Because a day is 1,000 years before Lord. You couldn't live for a day. And God will be talking to you as if you were living half a day or minutes. And God will say to you, I gave you some minutes to live. Because if a day is 1,000 years before the Lord. And uh, I want you to check. 100 years will be how much? How many minutes? (laughs) Come on. How many minutes? You now see God will be telling you, I gave you 45 seconds to live. <laughs> 45 seconds to live because I knew that if you are faithful in little, I will reward you with much. The much he's talking about is eternity. I'll reward you with eternity. But I wanted you to be faithful with some seconds. And you will understand that the 70 years you lived was 70 seconds. And God gave you 70 seconds to observe how you will live. For him to know, can I marry this girl or not marry this girl? So what we are doing here in this world is that we are in a courtship with God. And God is observing us. And he has a CTV camera to see whether his lover is cheating on him. To see how we are dealing with him in our secret and in our open. And when the life on earth is over, what will happen is that he who loved us, who promised us, who said to us, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Do you know what it means? Will not leave you nor forsake you. I mean, a Christian will die and will be buried, and the brothers and the sisters will forget where they buried the person. And God said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. When rapture takes place, God knows exactly where you were buried. And the Bible said, The dead in Christ, the dead in Christ will be raptured first. And the children and the people that are in the war will join up. And when you now meet, and you say, Mama, Mama, you are here. He said, yes, I came here. Mama, what time did you land? We landed first on the first flight before you guys landed because the dead in Christ rise first. And Mama, we are even sorry. We didn't even remember where we buried you. He said, no, no, no. He that loved me, remember where I was led because he said, he will not leave me nor forsake me. Most times you can say, why does bad things happen to good people? No, 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 no. Bad things don't happen to good people because this world that you see, these little days cannot be compared to the glory that is going to come. If I suffer for 15 years, in order to attain to that glory. This suffering of 15 years cannot be compared to eternity. I would even be glad. Say, God, are you rewarding me this much for small suffering that I suffered? Please, how I wish I had more suffering in order to have more reward. Bow your heads, everybody. The two shall become one. If you've had relationship with everybody and you've not had relationship with Jesus, you have lost it out. You've lost everything. There is no guarantee that the marriage that you're even wishing to marry you are even going to be in the marriage for up to 70 years. There's no guarantee. Yeah, there's no guarantee. 
So there's a marriage that's bigger than that. And that marriage is the marriage with Jesus. When all the lives is over, when all the cars are gone, when all the houses are gone, when all the relationships are gone, when you've lost your job, when you have done everything and everything is gone, when your whole beauty has gone, ask your grandma to show you the pictures of herself when she was very young. You understand that your beauty has not even entered anything. Your grandmother's beauty was so much that even in black and white pictures, our beauty still show up. In black and white. You feel you are the one who wears the latest short skirt. Check their pictures. You will see short skirt that passes human understanding. I bet everything fades away after time. And the real thing that stands out is the only thing that stood out when the wall was nothing. And when darkness covered the face of the deep. When there was no light. And when the spirit of the Lord was the only one on the water. The only thing that will stand out after this wall is over is going to be Jesus. And you that don't like Jesus so much, what will you do when he's the only one standing out and is asking you on the last day, how come you hated me that much? Me that died for you. Me that set you free. Me that helped you from accidents. There's somebody here listening to me. God spared your life from dying two years ago. And you swore everything that you would save God with all your hearts. Today, you have gone back to your old ways, worse than how you used to live. God said, do you understand that that was the last chance? Do you understand that I saved you with my love? Do you understand that you are the one that I showed mercy? Bow your heads, everybody. Wherever you are, I want you to just bow your heads and start talking to God. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou art died. Jesus, near blessed Lord, to the precious bleeding sun. Father, draw me near. Oh, Blessed Lord, to the cross where thou art. Papa, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed to the precious. Close your eyes. I am dying, O Lord. I have heard your voice. And is Jesus, get into your heart now. Draw me nearer. Come on. How about shake it go, Boshanta? Magedobo, shake it go, ya. Only by the bow, shita gadagaya. Makenduri, Boshita, Tuba, Zayadaba. 
your heads everybody what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul on the last day what will it profit a man what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world I mean the whole cast the whole girls the whole men the whole pleasure of sex the whole pleasure of life and lose his soul what shall it profit what shall it profit a man Wherever you are right now, I want you to just talk between you and God. He wants you people to get together, to marry and become one. That when he blows his trumpet, the trumpet will wake you up. That was the same trumpet that was blown when he died on the third day. It was a trumpet that was blown and he woke up. And so when you become one with him, Paul said we shall resurrect with him. What it means is that he will blow the trumpet again. And when the trumpet is blown... If you're one with him, you'll find yourself waking up. It doesn't matter how you died as a believer. It doesn't matter how you were buried. Whether there was befitting burial or not befitting burial. I want you to look at this wall beyond this wall. Because if you look at the wall with the scope and the perspective of this wall, you won't see anything. If you look at the wall beyond this wall, that's when you will see things. That's when you can look at things and say vanity. That's when you can look at things and say, I won't trade you for riches untold. Oh, I won't trade you for silver, no gold. Oh, you are, you are my everything. You Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I will live for you, alone. Disobeyed you, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. 
I may have lived like I owned my life. But here am I coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. too much chance if you're here in this hall or you're listening to us on any of the social medias platforms or you're listening to us on this video or you're watching us in your phone and you want to give your life to Jesus I don't want you to be ashamed of anybody who cannot add or subtract anything to your life but with all sincerity wherever you are once your hands lifted above your head wherever you are as a sign of surrendering or coming back I mean re-giving yourself back to God I need your hands lifted above your head as a sign of surrendering your life to Jesus right now wherever you are and I'm here as a priest of God not to condemn you but to reconcile you back to Jesus if you're here you want Jesus to come in you want to go back to that place that you've lost you want to go back to that level of fellowship I want your hand lifted up above your head as I pray with you right now. Father, I thank you for hands lifted up. I thank you for the people you've touched. I thank you for the revival. I thank you for restoration. I thank you for the sweet influence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, how you've ministered to each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord, because I love you. I love you, Jesus, because you have a way of getting the word down to our soul and our spirit. Blessed is your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For as many that their hands are lifted up, I want you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Jesus, I'm sorry of how I left you or not recognize you. But right now, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Come and be a Lord and a Savior over my soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Put your hands together for Jesus. Do well for Jesus. It's Jesus, so. It's Jesus you're clapping for. Amen.